I'm gonna put my dick in a drainage ditch. Okay, cool. <laughs> well done, the spirit. That's great. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to a very special episode of Fans About Films. Why special, you ask? Well, because me and my guest are doing a very thorough review of just one singular movie, which hasn't happened in a while on this podcast. My name is Lasse Vogt, and my guest is writer, actor, and comedian Tom Crowley. Hello. Wonderful to have you. It is me, Tom Crowley. Wonderful to be here. Thank you, Lasse. Great that uh, it finally happened, but it didn't take this long to actually yeah come together for an episode no no not too bad i was i was uh, uh, busy which is a rare occurrence uh, when you first asked but uh, luckily it didn't last very long so yes. <laughs> back and to having nothing to do so here i am <laughs> well i brought you here to figure out if toilets actually are always funny well quite i got notes about that so we'll get to that soon <laughs> but uh, one thing is for certain a toilet is where this piece of shit belongs the 2008 <laughs> movie the spirit <laughs> by Frank Miller, starring a bunch of people who likely want to forget they were ever in this. It's a fascinating piece of work. Uh, I, You might be surprised to hear that I, I found more things about it than I liked than I expected to. Because, you know, I won't lie to your listeners, Lasse, when you got in touch and said, oh, I like to look at interesting films, films that are interesting in that they don't quite work, but their ingredients make them feel like they should have worked in some way. Uh, and uh, I thought of this film because I thought, it looks absolutely terrible. And, you know, it is in many ways. But there were more highlights than I thought there would be, which we'll get to in time. It looks like your opinion is going to be a little bit more positive than mine, but we will get to that. We'll um, get to that. So this was your first time watching it, right? It was, yes. Although I'm very familiar with the character The Spirit from comics. Uh, and I'm also familiar with the work of Frank Miller. Both I've seen both of the Sin City films and I've read a bunch of his comics uh, that he's written and that he's drawn, or both. And so, yeah, no, this was my first experience with the uh, the real, well, an experience is what it is, uh, the experience of the film, The Spirit. This was my second time oh, watching wow. it. And, <laughs> I'm so uh, sorry. I had all, all <laughs> yeah, thank you for, for bringing back the trauma. <laughs> I, I had always heard how terrible it was, and I watched it years ago on TV, I think. Um, might have fallen asleep during it, not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, not so fun fact, because I couldn't find a streaming version in English in my territory. Yep. I actually had to buy the Blu-ray just for this podcast. Oh, my God. Well, no one made you buy the Blu-ray, Lasse. You could have got a bog-standard DVD release from a second-hand I, I shop. Come on. I, I, could, I couldn't find uh, anything, but Amazing. Um, it cost me less than two bucks. Oh, so no well, worries. there we go. That's all right, then. Man, yeah, the including Blu-ray shipping was really interesting. It actually two dollars. <laughs> By, by, buying the uh, Blu-ray cost me less than actually uh, watching uh, the streaming version I found, but that one was only in German, and I wanted to hear the dialogue in... Oh, yeah, uh, the majesty of the original language production. You know, it's yes. like watching a Kurosawa film. You want to get the original... Uh, the, the real spirit and... Uh, of spirit, no pun intended, of the uh, original <laughs> performances. Absolutely. I, I want you to think about this. This came out in 2008, yes. the same year... Two other comic book movies broke new ground. Mm -hmm. The same year as Iron Man yep. and The Dark Knight. And The Dark Knight, yeah. 
Uh, although I would say I like this more than The Dark Knight, probably, but that's a personal taste thing. What? Uh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't stand The Dark Knight. That's not true. There's lots of bits of the Chris Nolan Batman films that I admire in some ways. Overall, I hate them. Uh, so okay. <laughs> I would probably, I'd probably rather see another A Spirit 2 than I'd rather see another Chris Nolan Batman movie. But again, as I say, that's a matter of personal taste, you know, not empirical quality. Oh, so speaking of, you kind of touched on a fun fact there because uh, this movie is uh, the butt of a joke in the Matthew Vaughn movie Kick-Ass. Oh, is it? Oh, tell me. I, yes. I, I have seen Kick-Ass ages ago, but I can't remember that. There is a scene where um, you know, the Kick-Ass guy and his friends, they come out of a cinema out of a showing of The Spirit Free. <laughs> I call that wishful thinking. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> to to me, uh, to me, it seems like um, kind of like a spiteful joke uh, mm. by Matthew Vaughn because that was after you know the whole X Men Three thing fell through. So. Oh yes, right. So having a go at the studios and yeah, okay. Yeah, m might very well be the case. Even though this is also a comic book movie, but one that's you know a little bit more uh, you know adult. So yes, uh, yes, it's, indeed. It's, but is it? Uh, I, I don't mean, know. <laughs> In the case of the spirit, it's hard to tell. We'll get into the details of that more. Um, I've got oh, a bit yes. of research material about the character, the spirit, just uh, for context for your listeners, if you'd like to hear it. Absolutely, yeah, because um, it's it's great that you actually have some background with the comics because I absolutely don't, so mm. shoot right ahead. Well, it's very interesting because I think the spirit gets forgotten these days because he's not a superhero, although he they make him more of a superhero in the film in a way that is bad. But uh, the original character is just a copper a beat cop on the street who just wants to do good things for the people of central city where the story is based uh, he has a near-death experience or i think depending on the version of the comic he is killed and then resuscitated but uh, he's in a position where he can fake his own death effectively and then start to be a kind of underground pi who can investigate cases outside the law in ways the police can't do and also kind of with nothing to lose you know he has no identity so he has nothing to lose people don't know who his friends or family are he becomes a masked vigilante essentially working secretly with the police that's the plot of the original character it was created by will eisner uh, who is kind of you know the pope of comics he's um, a really incredible you know figure from the history of, of comic books up there with jack kirby and, and steve ditko and people like that he he was um working a little bit earlier than some of them He created the character in order to syndicate a comics magazine to a bunch of newspapers, interestingly, because in the late 30s, comic books, this new thing, were coming out uh, with war stories, some superhero stuff, some early superhero stuff. The spirit was created as a kind of uh, a framing device, a character who could launch a magazine in newspapers so those newspapers could compete on newsstands with comic books, this dangerous new medium, comic books that was threatening <laughs> the rest of the print industry. And so uh, Eisner then went, later went on to create some of the first ever graphic novels, which is a phrase that he created and then later disowned because it was pretentious. Uh, and I think he's <laughs> correct about that. Uh, but he really did create some of the most literary comics and graphic novels you've ever read, like ones about uh, the Holocaust, life in slum, New York City, uh, the prospect of contact with alien races in a very sort of realistic way, uh, and the war in Vietnam as well, kind of protest comics. And uh, he was a real absolute genius and and in fact to the point where the eisners the biggest you know the oscars of comics are named after him so a huge huge towering figure in the spirit is the the comic that made him 
Uh, although, of course, later in the run, uh, as many comic artists do, he hired a variety of assistants, uh, people who filled in some of the comic strips and some of the art, to the point where some of them probably were created by completely different people. But he also contributed so many of the stories and so many of the iconic characters. And, um, yeah, he he's a towering titan in, in comics, alongside somebody like uh, Alex Toth or somebody like that. So, yeah, that's what we're dealing with here. It has kind of been forgotten, I think, partly because com- uh, comic book superheroes became the main voice in comics for years and years after. People thought of comics, they instantly thought of Batman and Superman and Spider-Man. They didn't think of masked vigilantes or pulp detectives. So the spirit kind of got left behind a bit. Although, interestingly, I think because this film was coming out, 2008 is also the year that the spirit officially entered the DC universe in the comics. Oh. At this time, I was working in a comic book shop in central London, the best comic shop in London, Gosh Comics, recommended to anybody in or just visiting London. Uh, still a wonderful place, populated by fantastic staff. Not me anymore, sadly, but still wonderful people. And uh, it started with Batman the Spirit. So it was a crossover story. Written by Jeff Loeb, very famous DC writer, and with art by Darwin Cook, uh, inking by Jay Bone. And Darwin Cook, again, is almost like a Will Eisner. He's one of the most celebrated comics artists of the last kind of 30 years. He passed away uh, quite young, sadly. We've lost him now. R.I.P. Darwin Cook. Don't smoke cigarettes, kids. And uh, <laughs> he went on to do 12 issues of his own spirit comic, which are some of the best comics you'll ever find. And were a really, really sensitive, faithful, but innovative updating of the spirit character for the 21st century in a way that the film the spirit is not yeah i mean supposedly like frank miller was friends with eyes now right yeah so i got notes about this as well because i remember kind of we had copies of eisner miller it came out again i think in in like 2000 oh no 2005 so probably while pre-production was ramping up to do the film i assume and uh, it was a, a book called Eisner Miller that was like the kind of, I think it was trying to be the sort of Hitchcock Truffaut of comics with, uh, <laughs> you know, Frank Miller at the time was taking the sort of role of the the established but younger kind of uh, god of comics. And Eisner is the old uh, master, you know, the aging old master, like uh, the Hitchcock of his day. Yeah, fascinating because that was, you know, Miller was really riding high because that was the same year the, the film of Sin City came out. And he was, you know, this uh, slightly reclusive, mysterious you know, genius of comics who hardly ever released anything. But when he did, it was really impactful and really interesting. And uh, yeah, often, you know, quite offensive as well. But that's another issue. Uh, but I, don't, I haven't read the whole book of Eisner Miller. Uh, but I remember flicking open a random page when we had a copy in the comic shop. And uh, the quote that I saw was uh, Eisner saying to Frank Miller, well, you know, in your comics, who cares what the story is? All anybody cares about is who's going to blow whose head off next. <laughs> and uh, we'll come back to that idea because there's a few points in the movie The Spirit that made me, uh, yeah, think think about that quote quite a lot. <laughs> um, since you are more familiar with the comics than me, by the mm. way, this is yeah, fascinating backstory, actually. Oh, good. Um, are they... Uh, aimed more at adults than kids well i so again i think we're going to get back to this a lot when we talk about the movie because um i would say it, it's a crossover definitely eisner has quite a cartoony style and he never lost that you know he kept his sort of beautifully sort of very full-figured characters like very three-dimensional feeling uh, style of drawing but with sort of big expressive eyes and, and cartoonish expression and uh, proportions and you know he applied that style to the spirit he also applied it to anything that was sort of horror tinged or anything that was social realism dramas and stuff like that war comics it was always the same it was his eisner style and uh, so i think it was sort of a spirit of uh, an almost disney-esque idea of having these simplified and expressive characters 
And certainly the spirit comics, I think, were probably designed to appeal to, you know, the kids wanting to read adventures and fist fights and, and sexy dames and dangerous adventures, but also to, you know, dad bored on the way to work, wanting a bit of a pick me up on the train in the <laughs> on the way into the office, you know. I see. Okay, okay. Yeah, because the the, the tone of this movie is uh, quite fascinating. Fascinating. Absolutely baffling, <laughs> you could also say. <laughs> but now, as far as I know, a lot of people were at least mildly curious about this film because it was directed by Frank Miller, mm-hmm. as we said, who also, in quotes, directed Sin City with Robert Rodriguez. The yes. thing is... He didn't really. Yeah, I mean, this is what people say, isn't it? That he he kind of was involved creatively. And Rodriguez is interesting as well, because I think he's someone who's desperately keen to celebrate his crew and to celebrate his collaborators. He's very generous as a filmmaker, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is him allowing Frank Miller to take a director credit on since. Yeah, yeah. Because like basically he only got a director credit because Rodriguez was following the comic panel so closely. Oh, is that right? Oh, I thought it was that he'd kind of, you know, had supervision from Rodriguez, but he's at least done, you know, a bit of the work on set. Maybe a tiny bit, but basically, as far as I know, Miller did the storyboards in form of the original comic book. Yeah. And since that was adapted in such a close and detailed way, that technically counts as part of the directing. Right. But where I'm going with this is... He hadn't actually properly directed a movie before he no. took on those duties for the spirit. But you can barely tell. Oh, you can hardly tell. It's so his natural ability shines through. So does that mean that Dave Gibbons also directed Watchmen? Uh, because basically yes. Zack Snyder followed the exact comic panels of that too. So technically, Dave Gibbons should get himself a director credit, you know, with the... Uh, with a SAG or who who handles directors in Hollywood? I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, yeah, <laughs> he deserves one. Uh, also, we get him that. Uh, also, um, uh, going back to the stuff we said about Frank Miller, check your dictionary for the word sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think people will pick up on that. I think they'll they'll understand, especially if they've seen the I film, d- The Spirit. I know it was really, really subtle, and, and just in case, like um, people are listening who haven't seen this movie, which is likely because yeah. I think it was, you know, kind of a flop. <laughs> well, I'm fascinated to know in a way, because you sort of go, I guess Miller could write his own check, right? Because Sin City was, was a hit, I think. It was certainly like, it felt very heavily advertised, very fated. It was it was such a sort of stylistic, you know, it's it's not the most sophisticated or interesting movie of all time, but it's it, visually it's fascinating and beautiful. Uh, and, you know, you maybe only need to see that hyper-stylized noir thing once, but when you see it once, it's really entertaining and diverting. And, you know, the overblown stuff, that 80s aesthetic of everything just being way over the top, that's that's really fun. It's, again, not uh, the land of uh, subtlety and nuance and, and deft storytelling. What it is, though, is is a good old ride. And so, presumably, it did well, because it also then later gets Sin City 2. But still, I, I go, so I guess Miller says, hey, I'm a director, look, I've got a credit on Sin City. And then he say, they say, what do you want to do next? And Do you want to adapt another one of your comics? And he goes, no, I want to adapt Will Eisner, my old comics mentor who didn't like my comics very much. I want to adapt his character, The Spirit, but I want to do it as a weird kind of crossbreed of his comics and my comics in a way that tonally yeah. won't work. Yeah, no, absolutely not. The thing is, in the opening sequence, the movie actually looks fairly stylish in yeah. a way the rest of the film doesn't. Uh, yeah, no, it, no. 
it, it only seems to be here where the sharp contrast between light and shadow and between the colors comes close to looking as good as in Sin City. And yeah. most of the rest of the movie, it looks either flatly gray or flatly brown and really ugly. Weirdly sepia-toned, yeah. There's a few standout moments throughout. But yeah, the, the opening, I mean, one thing that... Well, it's interesting. So at the very start of the movie, there's the uh, Gabriel Macht's name, who I actually like in this film. He, um, his oh. name is kind of plastered across the window of the spirit's uh, graveyard layer, which we never see again, uh, no. <laughs> which is such a waste. Anyway, uh, his name is, uh, is, is plastered like uh, as though it's written on the window. And I thought, oh, they're doing that thing that they did in the spirit every time where the title is worked into the landscape. So, you know, you've got the spirit uh, maybe in uh, one of the Darwin Cook ones comes to mind where there's like a subway train racing past him. And uh, the windows and the sort of speed lines spell the spirit. Or he's, you know, in the sewer and the brickwork on the sewage pipe next to him spells the spirit uh, on the title page. So a beautiful bit of yeah, design. Yeah. And then when we actually get the title, the spirit, it's just like made of bricks. And they don't do it at all. They do that one thing it's with a- Gabriel Mark's name and that's it. Yeah, the, the, the title just kind of randomly comes in, yeah. which uh, which feels like really, really weirdly edited. Yeah. I have a question uh, for you, yes. uh, since you are more familiar with the comics than me. Why does the spirit surround himself with cats? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's because Frank Miller likes cats. I don't think he... Does he in the comics? I'm trying to think. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a... I'm a fake fan. I'm a fake geek girl here, okay, Lassa? Because I have read... <laughs> I love the Darwin Cook comics. I've read some of the Eisner comics. And I've read some of the, in the 80s or, or is it 90s, they did the, I think, Dark Horse comics made the new adventures of the spirit. And that got, you know, creators like Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman and all the greats, you know, in each of them contributing one spirit story of their own. I think Frank Miller probably did one of those as well. I can't remember. But um, hmm. so I've read a bunch of them, but I, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of the original comics. So I'm not sure what the canon is exactly. But I don't think okay. cats are that big of a deal. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's so weird. Like they, they just constantly show up. Um, I kind of uh, pieced it myself together that maybe because you know he, you know, died and came back. Maybe mm. they are supposed to symbolize that nine since lives. cats have nine lives. Yes, yeah, I see. Okay, clever. I hadn't thought of that. But that's generous. Like because yeah, yeah it it it, ne- it never really amounts to anything. Like at one no. point he monologues to a cat. And uh, that's kind of the excuse for a cat being in the scene. Well, here's uh, an interesting thing at least they're well. real cats. Yeah, well, yeah, true. I mean, yeah, and and a, a horrible fate befalls a cat later. Maybe it's a save the cat thing. Maybe that's the idea. He can't save the I cat guess. later on, so he has to take revenge for the cat. Uh, yeah, but who knows? Might be. Well, there's an interesting thing, the which is that the, the spirit character in the comics had a character called Ebony White, who is a controversial figure because he was a young black kid who was like a cab driver, a sort of juvenile cab driver in the city, central city, the setting of the spirit. And he was his closest confidant, his sort of lieutenant. He was a bit like one of Sherlock Holmes's gang of, you know, the kids that would run around the street, street kids that would solve uh, problems for him or contact people or get stuff. And he was like that, but he was drawn in the original comics like a sort of a, an African-American stereotype, let's be honest. Like, oh, yeah, I heard about this. Yeah, big, big, thick lips, like unrealistically huge and uh, a very sort of small cartoonish kind of figure. And it's he's a very interesting character because obviously you would not draw it like that today. But at the time, there were some concerns uh, about, you know, is this offensive? But it was also celebrated by some corners of, you know, black activism 
because Ebony was, you know, he was a prominent character. He was he was nobly intentioned. He was skillful and he helped the story along and he was only portrayed in a positive way. And so he was quite a progressive figure in his way, you know, in 1940, which is you know, a very yeah. long time ago. And again, that's a character that in Darwin Cook's comics, he just stopped the stereotypical elements of him. He was just a streetwise tough kid, you know, who was, um, you know, looked to be about like 10, had no parents. You know, the spirit had kind of taken him under his wing and just removed anything about the character that might have been uh, a stereotypical thing. Uh, particularly like in the way he spoke as well, because uh, Ebony sort of spoke in a kind of street patois, like a kind of slightly stereotyped urban black slang in the original comic. So that was taken out and he just made him yeah. a modern kid and it worked so well. But in the film, he just went, Frank Miller just went, ah, fuck it. I can't be bothered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it, instead of you know, uh, updating him, uh, he, he he just dropped him. Kill or him. Maybe, maybe that's actually a wise decision because... Uh, Frank Miller's habit, how he, you know, reinvented Robin is uh, certainly problematic in some ways. Oh, would so you say so? Maybe... So the, the, we're talking about Dark Knight Returns, Robin? Not because, you know, there was like a gender swap or anything, mm. but because, you know, it's some some people um, are kind of iffy about uh, certain implications of that character regarding her age and all of that. Oh, sure. Yeah. The, well, I mean, certainly I would say there were serious safeguarding issues in uh, Gotham City. Uh, they're you know they're leaving that kid alone with with particularly that Batman, the Dark Knight Returns Batman. That's you know, it's 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 yeah. not something that any civil you know any social worker would sign off on. Yeah, no, absolutely not. But you know, the the, the movie kind of starts uh, with a bad sign because uh, from a very first shot already it's flatlining. Yeah, <laughs> the most honest <laughs> opening of a movie. <laughs> there are a couple of honest scenes yeah, uh, I want to yeah. get to. Uh, but yeah, also the credits are in the wrong order, I noticed. Oh, right. Um, the executive producers are being listed far too early. That's always oh, a pet peeve I of see. mine. Right, they're meant to be later on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, uh, with the spirits voiceover, another problem becomes clear. Frank Miller's writing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Now, all of this stuff, this my city stuff, my, my city is my mistress. That's not the spirit at all. That's like, that's Sin City and that's The Dark Knight Returns. There's nothing about the that's That's so Frank Miller. Like how yeah. he monologues about the city, pretending like it's a woman and how he lusts over it is basically yeah. Miller in self-parody mode. I'm going to put my dick in a drainage ditch. <laughs> okay, cool. Well done, the spirit. That's great. Uh, so disgusting. Yeah, awful. Uh <laughs> <laughs> it's also, I think he refers to the city as jailbait quite early on. And I thought, well, so yeah. the city that you want to have sex with is jailbait. Okay, thanks. That's good. This all reads really well. She doesn't put herself in fancy clothes like a piece of jailbait. <laughs> like something like that. Yeah, Oh, great. God. Uh, it's so my my ugly ass crack whore city wife is... <laughs> <laughs> is really hot. I'm like, okay, this uh, what a strange film. To I mean, that's the, my main takeaway. We'll get, we'll come back to this time and again. But it is like, if this is supposed to be a tribute to Will Eisner, it's like the worst, <laughs> the worst intentioned tribute you could ever try to pay to him. He, he might as well just say, you know, once in a while, I give this crusty old whore a pity fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Central City is like an old drug addicted prostitute. Okay, good. Um. <laughs> That's nice and clear. Glad we're clear about that. I stepped on a needle. <laughs> I talk like this. Jesus Christ. I was shot in the throat when I got killed. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense now. Uh, uh, also, interestingly, um, there are two Spider-Man connections in this movie. Oh, tell me, please. Um, it's shot by Bill Pope. Oh, yeah. Uh, who you know, shot like uh, at least Spider-Man 2 and 3 for Sam Raimi. I was going to say, and yeah. 
uh, David Newman does a score which sounds like, yeah, Danny Elfman was too expensive or busy, so here you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get a Newman in. Fine, that's fine. <laughs> one point during the opening he actually quotes the batman theme i swear to god yeah it really it sounds so much like the batman theme And again, the character is so... The score is quite representative of... I mean, there are times when, clearly, Newman is struggling to work out what the tone of the scene is supposed to be. Oh. And he's just vamping as best he can with the score going like, yeah. I think I think it's sort of a romp now, is it? Or no, it's serious. Yeah. No, no. It, it kind of uh, reminds you of uh, Batman and Robin, where Elliot Goldenfall just leans very heavily like, oh, there's Poison Ivy on screen. Let's bring out the sexy saxophone. Sexy sax, yep, yep. And yeah, that's all I've got. It's the only cue I can read from this. Cold. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Arnold. Good. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't be that surprised if if Mr. Freeze, as played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, just turned up in this film. Like later on when, <laughs> when the octopus says, I'm bringing in a specialist to deal with this problem. If Arnie just walked in and said, like, I'm very cold, then I wouldn't be that surprised. Uh, everyone goes, that's not really a joke, Arnie. It's like, I'm freezing. Yeah, we know you're Mr. Freeze. <laughs> It's cold in here. And he's like, these aren't jokes. You're just saying that you're cold. Cold. Okay, fine. Thanks. Freezing hell, Batman. <laughs> Freezing hell's hot, Arnie. Uh, that's the whole point. It's. I mean, um, uh, Sam Jackson kind of does like a Schwarzenegger thing in this because he, he constantly talks about eggs where Arnie talked about ice. What the hell's that? The egg thing. I don't understand that at all. I don't get the egg obsession and it, it never works. Like no. it feels like something like only Miller f- found funny. Yeah. And you... I, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't well, get it. Why? Like, it doesn't make sense. Even no. the connections he makes. No. Well, there's one point where they have, it feels like he's really reaching. He says, Oh, like those, those eggs, that organic hens lay the brown eggs. I hate them. And you go, this is just boring chat. This is awful chat. It's really like the octopus run out of things to say in a kind of portentous way. He's like, oh, I hate it when they rearrange the supermarket shelves and you don't know where the milk is. You go, yeah, I guess that is annoying, octopus, but I, this, there's more pressing things at hand. You're trying to get Hercules's blood out of a, a dish. Now it sounds like uh, it's written by Kevin Smith. Oh, yeah. True. Oh, well, that would be. I'd, <laughs> I'd be fascinated to see the sort of airplane style spoof of this by Kevin Smith. So I think about the octopuses. Um, now again, I'm not. I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge about the octopus, but as far as I know, you never saw him in the comic. Oh, okay. Not in it's the original like a Dr. run of the Claw comics. kind of thing. He was, yeah. Also, like you know Moriarty, but even more so because you you never see mm. him. He's he's the he's the you know the octopus. He's got ten, tentacles everywhere. He's reaching into every area of crime, and you never actually find him. You just find his lieutenants. That was the idea. So I know there was some consternation when they cast the most recognisable actor in Hollywood as the octopus. And then you see him in, like, the first shot of the trailer. And you go, oh, there he is. Well, okay, (laughs) good. So it's a different direction we're taking, is it? 
All right. Yeah. It's, so uh, you said that you uh, like uh, Gabriel Macht in this. Yeah. Um, I don't. And no, full disclosure, me. I don't blame him. Okay. Uh, I I don't I don't blame anyone for uh, their poor performances no. in this. But it's especially apparent with him because he. And I, I couldn't help it. He looks like a little boy in a Halloween costume posing around. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. That's fair. <laughs> That's a fair comment. Um, I, I like his look. Do you know, I think when I say I like him, I think I like him as casting for this. I don't think yeah. I could truly like his performance, mostly because he has to do the fake film noir Frank Miller gravelly voice. So he can't ever really do much or speak up or be very expressive. But it's yeah, he fe- he has a good look, but as soon he's talking, uh, he feels too young for this. Yeah, well, again, I think it's not that's not a terrible choice for this character. Maybe in this film it is. Maybe in this film it's a bad choice for for this <laughs> take on the character. But you know, if I think of the spirit, I think blue eyed. I think uh, boisterous, big. You know, loves adventure. Quite a sort of lively character, which again, very much not in the spirit of this film interpretation. <laughs> So, which is dour yeah. and drab and violent and very, very strange and uh, perverse. Oh, yeah, Jesus. I was thinking about who would work in a role like this with yeah. a tone like this. And uh, my mind immediately flashed to someone like Bruce Campbell. Now, he reminded me of Bruce Campbell at points in the film. I like mm. just the look of him. And I did. It was a good choice. Bruce Campbell in about if you had the the real uh, true. Blue, well, true blue. That's another question. We'll come to that. But if you had Bruce Campbell in sort of 1985. There's no better casting for the spirit. Stick a domino mask yes. on Bruce Campbell. That would be absolutely perfect. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, did you recognize uh, the cop in the car? Yeah, I did. That was promising <laughs> young actor Frank Miller <laughs> playing Leibowitz, the other cop who uh, strangely is a, a less good actor than the other cops in the movie. Uh, I wonder why that is. Yes, he doesn't. He doesn't shine, does he? Miller gave himself lines, and he's terrible. He's really not good. <laughs> he's you know, and I, that kind of fun cameo, I can I can enjoy that. Uh, but when the film has managed to already be confusing uh, and off-putting in the first ten minutes, when the director is also then doing a cameo, you know you're in trouble. Yeah, from the very beginning, like I, I kind of like like the setup for the actual opening. It yeah. kind of feels like you know pulpy TV sort mm. of stuff, which. Mm. It pretty much seems to be the intention, but then I'm completely lost. We don't know what city this is, nope. at least I didn't. Um, Eva Mendes randomly comes out of the water, somebody yep. gets shot, and then we see the aftermath when the Spirit and Miller cop arrive, mm-hmm. and we get a flashback and resolution to something we saw just a minute ago. Yep. Like, this is about as bad as that part in Suicide Squad. Right, yeah, that everyone talks about it. Yeah. You know, I've not seen Suicide Squad, but I have seen a breakdown of why that scene is confusing. Uh, yeah, there's so th- it's worse than that as well, uh, Lassa. Because uh, what? Don't forget, you've just seen a weird sort of half-remembered memory or or vision of a woman covered in diamonds who kind of looks a bit like Ava Mendes, at least enough so that you, when her face is mostly in shadow, it's impossible to tell. So for the entire film, really, I thought that this angel of death figure was Sans Serif, and she's not. <laughs> she's just any woman. Yeah. And if you want to know yeah, who exactly. she is, uh, her name is, uh, what is it now? Uh, I'm looking through my notes here. Lorelai. Lorelai, that's right. And there is a Lorelai who turns up in one issue of the original Spirit Run. Uh, and she's she's not the Grim Reaper. She's a woman. So what her role in this is, I, I could not tell. She symbolizes death. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like Lady Death, you know, who 
Thanos falls in love with in the comics. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, Or in uh, The Sandman, in fact, when Morpheus has his sister. Do you think that this movie was the reason that uh, Kevin Feige um, decided to drop that whole thing and uh, so, they, so they could do a different thing with the Avengers movies? Kind of like the reaction of this, like, oh, yeah, this, like, Lady Death thing in the spirit. Uh, let, let's not do that. <laughs> I'm going to be more harsh on the film The Spirit when I say I don't think Kevin Feige has ever thought about the film The Spirit. I don't think it's entered his head for more than 15 seconds. And probably that 15 seconds was him thinking, should I watch the film The Spirit? No. I would like to think that he saw this movie and, uh, you know, sought out uh, Sam Jackson and Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> yeah, <for> maybe. <laughs> That's true. Oh, my God. I remembered about Sam Jackson. I thought it's so weird that he's also just playing Nick Fury just now at this point. Yeah, it was also the same together. year where he had his first cameo yeah. in Iron Man. That's right. And I hadn't even put together that Scarlett Johansson then goes on to also be... Yeah. And who would have thought between Iron Man and the Spirit that it's Iron Man that would have led to the uh, to the hugest media enterprise of the 21st century? Who would have thought? Probably, probably a few people. Yeah, because one movie was really good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. my god! Yeah, and. Then, then, like, uh, the, the dying dude goes on and on about, like, a beautiful broth who was so beautiful. Like, it it's, truly shows Miller's attitude towards women, which oh my is God. an extremely throughout, throughout unhealthy one. Throughout this film. Weirdly, like, I think Fra Frank Miller, sort of, what he does so well is basically create a kind of caricature of what people think of when they think of those hard-boiled uh, film noir. And, and but... but more so than those films ever were you know like you you go oh well the femme fatale maybe that's a bit of a tropey character but then you go back and watch all those films you watch the big sleep and key largo and whatever else and you go oh they're actually really good characters played well by talented actors but like in terms of let's take the spirit for example the characters portrayed herein were drawn from quite rich like yes sexualized in some cases but rich interesting characters who were engaged in fascinating stories and had their own lives and agency case in point uh silk thingy uh, whatever her name is the um the lady that uh scarlett hansen plays in this oh yeah what was her name uh silken floss silken floss <laughs> yeah she she is the octopus's kind of henchwoman or you know associate in in the comics but she starts out as an incredibly talented surgeon like a preternaturally gifted surgeon you know a professional woman in 1940 and it's uh, you know, she's turned to crime by you know realizing that she can use her abilities for evil and uh, get money And so you go, great. In this, it's literally a clothes horse of various like booby costumes for Scarlett Johansson. That's the whole character. It's sort of yeah, intimated that she might be a medical person at some points, but that's about it. And uh, you have those clones suddenly showing up and they also go on and on about she's the most yep. beautiful woman ever. Beautiful dame. I was watching. Do you know what? I think he's my oh. favorite thing about this film, I have to say. <laughs> he He's actually, you know, there, there, there's one point where they like, uh, we looked everywhere, except where she was. We should have looked there. Like, that was actually pretty funny. <laughs> That's right. We should look there. We did. Like, it's great. Really good. Oh, and there was also just a, a thing, just a sort of great logic joke later on that he has. And, you know, this, and to be fair, the credit goes to Frank Miller, because some of these bits are really good. Some of the best bits of the film are the funny bits, which I wouldn't expect. I didn't expect that to yeah. be the case. Some of them are some some but... <laughs> some laughs are intentional. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But like bits like um, like where he says, uh, 
Oh, I'm just going to say I'm one of those homelesses when I go to the hospital because it's free. That's why homelesses are always getting hurt because it's free. <laughs> and I was like, that's such <laughs> a funny misapprehension for this guy to oh have. Oh, my God. But it's such a weird logical leaps. I liked all that. And apparently, um, Sam Jackson decapitates Miller Cop. It, it's so badly staged and edited. It feels oh, like yeah. it's, Does he? I missed you know, that completely. Yeah. yeah it, it feels like it's edited for television. Yeah. Yeah, really yeah. clunky. Yeah. Maybe it was. I don't know what certificate this got worldwide when it came out, but it, maybe they did go, who's this for? We need to make it so that a few younger people can see it because we don't know who the hell else is going to watch it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's still, you know, he throws the head at him. But it's so obscure. Oh, that's right. Like it's, that's his head. I didn't know what was yeah. going on with that. I, I'd it's forgotten so about weird. That. It's 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 absolutely um, baffling and really confusing. Yeah. And I I wonder if this overlong slapstick fight between the spirit and the octopus already caused loads of walkouts in the cinema. Oh Jesus! I wonder. I mean, again, as I say, the great mysterious figure that you never met in the comics, because you know, there's probably not that many people uh, who are sort of in the general public who are moviegoers who know the spirit character. So they probably go in the ones who don't know the character. They're going to go in and go, what the hell is going on? But people who do know the character are going to go in and the first thing that's going to happen is you see (laughs) the arch nemesis, the mysterious arch nemesis, and he's like slapping the spirit in the face in a ditch, like in a a swamp. And that's the opening half hour of the movie. Yeah, and it's so like they, they, they talk about like those old enemies and we like you have to make this accessible for people who have no relation to this. And it's so confusing. It really is. Like It feels like the seventh sequel yeah it does it really does and that's another thing I've, i was thinking as what i was watching it, i was going is this for people that have never heard of the spirit or is this supposed to be like a, a sort of indulgent uh, adaptation for the fans because if it is it's a weird like fuck you to everyone that's ever liked the character but also it's a it's a fuck you to anyone who doesn't know the character has no idea what's going on or who these people are yeah, a guy that appears to be a sort of Batman or Marv from Sin City runs through a city that he wants to have sex with and then ends up in a swamp somewhere, I guess, inside the city or near the city, punching <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson, who keeps going on about eggs. And that's all we have to go on at this point. Yeah, yeah. And it's so like he, he alludes to, oh, there's so much stuff I could tell you or whatever. And then yeah. they escape and blah, blah, blah. And they get this chest and... um Eva Mendes has like, like she discovered two treasure chests and they both got the wrong one and that's one of the plots in this yep. but um, oh god and I actually I, I'm going through my notes here and at one point I just wrote I hate this <laughs> I wish I could narrow down at what point of the film that would be uh, it's really it's really baffling like there's it, it I think if you asked Frank Miller, like, what was your intention? A part of me wonders if he'd just say, ah, I don't know, I just fucked about, made a film. You know, because he, mm. presumably, he, he had a lot of faith in Hollywood and could command a lot of money. And, you know, because it clearly cost a bit. I mean, they shot it all on green screens, but the amount of effects and stuff they needed for this, it must have cost a pretty penny. And the number of stars in it as well, you know. Exactly. And it's Sam Jackson. It's, it's... He's done, done come cheap, I don't think. And this is this is uh, uh, already like I'm pretty sure this is much much more expensive than the first Sin City. But yeah, presumably the first Sin City is yeah. so much better. I mean, it's a, a lot better because I think someone made that film. Like there was a director involved, 
So I think that's that's yeah. why that was better. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like a real director, like with <laughs> yeah, some a couple of style, them, yeah. and there's like a, a good story there. You know, yeah, yeah. It was based on it was based on a comic that he'd bothered to make first. That, I think maybe that's why it was better. <laughs> he had to make it himself, and he's like, oh, there we go. It's a story. Um, exactly, and but it's so strange. And like the the thing about you know Miller's sort of super arch, hard boiled dialogue again in Sin City where. Sin City has a, a defined space and time. Like it's, it feels like a kind of mashup of 1950s LA and New York, and every single grate in the street has steam coming out of it. Every car is a lumpy old uh, Oldsmobile or, or a Buick or something. You know, and all the phones are rotary phones, and all the guns are old revolvers. You got, I, I understand the aesthetic of this, and that super turned up to eleven noiriness makes sense of all of this insanely. Uh, prophetic sounding you know um, uh, hard boiled gritty dialogue and in, in this it just makes everyone sound really weird when they talk to each other yeah exactly like it feels so old fashioned in a way that like it feels tonally weird like like if, if they leaned more into it in a certain way yeah It it would kind of work, but it, it feels so so stilted and off. Yeah. And also they, they they break their like time logic because at one point one character holds up like pretty much a, a modern Nokia phone. Yeah. yeah. And and how people have mobiles <laughs> throughout. Like you people get calls and you know. Oh I, yeah. And there's other bits of technology. There's a laptop a guy's got on his desk, and you you just think, well, well hang on. It's it's almost like Frank Miller is a genre. Like he decided, I am a genre. <laughs> And then they went, do you want to make a movie? He went, yeah, I'll make The Spirit. And rather than go, what does The Spirit require from a film? He went, I don't have a choice. I'm Frank Miller. I'm making a Frank Miller film. So he just made yeah. almost Sin City. And I, you just think... So, okay, here's a, here's a, speaking of blue, as I was earlier, here is a, a really, I think, a really important point about this film. Uh, okay. it's, it's in stylized black and white, where the only kind of the main splash of color is The Spirit's red tie. Yeah, it, which prompts a, a very uh, ineffectual uh, one-liner later in the film. So famously, the spirit's uh, outfit is entirely blue. His hat is blue. His suit is blue. His tie is red, but his mask is also blue. Hmm. So again, it almost feels like right from the very first steps from the ground up, it's going, fuck you, everybody. <laughs> like, he wears black now. And you go, why? <laughs> it's this incredibly iconic look of this blue clad spirit. And what was also weird was, you know, at the time when the trailer for this came out, I think that the Darwin Cook comics had already been coming out and you were reminded of this incredibly vibrant, uh, fun knockabout, not quite family friendly, but not, you know, not adult, not violent. Uh, the the stories of this um, this big hunky blue dressed guy who just likes to help out the good people and you know beat the bad guys and chase down the baddies and um, always got time to stop and chat to a, a sexy broad you know but also you know always there to help the needy and vulnerable and like this fun kind of really old fashioned almost adventurous fun comics yeah but then the trailer for this comes out and you go the fuck is this. <laughs> like, what is this film that's kind of the um the effect like like some comic book trailers actually have like how they basically uh do you remember how really like uh, overly dark the trailers for age of ultron were oh then, yes yes uh, i do yeah and, and then the movie itself you know it's it's just you know uh, same old same old like not bad but uh, certainly in, within the same tone as The rest of the Marvel fair, like not not significantly darker. Yeah, no, maybe serious. thematically a bit grimmer, and you know, Ultron is a sort of sinister villain. I remember, but 
I mean, I saw it once, but you know, yeah. But no, it wasn't um, in terms of its palette and the the way it was shot. No, no, it wasn't like a yeah. It's uh, but they also did that with they did that with the Transformers movies all the time, mm. where they always pretended with every new entry like this is gonna be the dark one. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then and and then you have you know. Um, in in the in, in the fifth movie, you have uh, Anthony Hopkins going, "Nice ride, bitch." <laughs> <laughs> nice. Gee, uh, <laughs> like there's a line where, where it's uh, in in the fifth Transformers movie where it's where one of the Transformers has a French accent and oh, uh, right. and, uh, yeah, and and uh, one one woman asks Anthony Hopkins, "Is he French?" No, he just likes the accent. <laughs> This is the Transformer voiture. Ah, bonjour. Uh, lovely. I need to watch yeah, these films. Exactly. I stopped after one. Uh, I clearly need to watch five. I'm going to jump straight to five. Does he have to loom like that? Bonjour, chérie. Je m'appelle Hot Rod. At what? Hot Rod. At red? Hot Rod. Hot Rod. Mm -hmm. It's his French accent. Is he French? No, he just likes the accent. No, 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 no. I hate the accent. But I can get rid of it. I'm stuck with the accent. It's so incredibly offensive and awful. But, oh God. <laughs> we dive into flashbacks with a spirit, with the childhood when he was uh, Danny Cold, which is kind of an awesome name, but also kind of ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And it's, big, it's silly, yeah. And he and young Eva Mendes were friends. And Mendes' character, who is called a Sans Serif, yep. which is also quite ridiculous, she's the most vapid girl you could imagine. Yeah, completely. Yeah, She's really into shiny things. Incredibly shallow. Yeah, exactly. To give the film some credit, uh, they cast the young actors well. Yeah, they were great. I mean, they're, they're, in terms of looks, perfect. I thought they were really good. Yeah, pretty good matches to their adult counterparts, I mm. thought. That was actually pretty well done, and also that there was a rare sense of like real drama or like chemistry, yeah, which which you don't get uh, throughout the rest of the no. film. Well, because again, like I think one problem there is so in that scene you have here the young Denny Colt, clearly you know fat, yeah, absolutely obsessed with this girl. She's a bit mercurial; she won't be pinned down, and he's in love with her, and he feels a little like rejected. So you have an understandable relationship there that you can get hold of. But then later it just seems like Denny Colt is a, a sort of compulsive fuck machine who literally has no impulse control and you know, yeah. is, is constantly encountering beautiful women, all of whom he has to immediately sort of proposition, which, which starts to become a kind of personality disorder, I think, after a certain Exactly. Point. Like, it's, it, it's, it, it could be, in a better movie, this would be like a curse or something. Yeah, he, but, he cannot. But he, <laughs> but he it, it feels like he just can't keep it in his pants. Yeah, no, it's, he's, he's chronically, that's his superpower. He is chronically incapable of keeping it in his pants. He's chronically horny. Put it away, Denny. But but to, to to be fair, they are also horny. Like every woman just lusts over him constantly. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And that's the thing with like. So again, if you look at the comic stories, and I think this is a, a broader point I have about this film is it should have just been a comedy. I think get rid of the <laughs> stylized color palette. You know, keep keep the sort of weird CGI backdrops if you want. I don't care. But just lean into the comedy because, like I say, the only bits that work are the bits that are funny. And like those are the amusing parts. It's like a sketch show of weird pseudo pulp ideas. And like, and yeah. one thing about that is that you know some of the the rompier sort of daft, silly spirit comics. You know, what you'd have is the spirits investigating some sort of smuggling ring. It turns out Sans Serif is at the center of it. Uh, he he cuffs her, takes her back to the police station, and you know gets her into the prison cell. 
But then, you know, another inmate pushes her over and she falls on top of him. He goes, oh, no. And that's when Ellen Dolan would come in and say, we're meant to have tickets to the movies tonight. And he'd go, oh, no. You know, it's like that. <laughs> it's that kind of, you know, the, the ladies love him. And he's always ending up in some kind of comical, embarrassing situation. But again, he's not just like a kind of random, aimless jackhammer, just like dicking his way around Central City. You know, that's not the idea. He's not, you know, Russell Brand. Yeah, I mean, recast a couple of key characters and this is an SNL sketch. Yeah, I mean, definitely at times. There are scenes in this where it feels like rehearsal footage from SNL. You know, like when there's actors who've only had like half an hour to get to grips with a sketch and learn their lines and they're kind of trying to follow the idiot boards but they're also yeah. trying to have a dynamic with the other actors. <laughs> you could really, like, you could you could, you could could uh, edit an, a laugh track in this and it wouldn't feel out of place. No. Like, have you seen the outtakes from when Larry David did um, Kevin Roberts on SNL? I think so. Oh, uh, just the... Uh, Ke Kevin Roberts just got to second base with a lady. I'm Kevin Roberts and I have a very important... <laughs> what? <laughs> Get up. <laughs> something about the way that they're all they know they're in rehearsal there's a there's an audience there for some of it but they everyone there kind of knows like well this isn't the real thing yet so we're getting to grips with it but that's how the finished film the spirit feels <laughs> like, yeah they're all going oh well, this isn't really a real film we'll we'll do the real film later <laughs> this is just you know we're finding our way we're gonna skip uh, uh over a couple of key plot points because it basically just a uh, character's saying the same things over and over again yep, yep, yep. just like the, the police commissioner just bickering and mm. uh, Sarah Paulson is his daughter poor Sarah Paulson I'm yeah, sorry no, she's great this. she's perfect choice as well for the character but like nothing oh, okay. to do nothing to and do and another character gets introduced uh, during this time and female police rookie Morgenstern yeah Morgenstern uh, yeah Played by Stana Kettig, uh, just imagine, just the following year, she would star in the first season of Castle. That's right, yes, Castle was coming up. I, I was going, who is this? Because I couldn't tell, like, I, I, she seemed familiar, but I've only seen a bit of Castle, but I went, oh my god, it's her. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, and she's certainly something in this. She, she feels like she knows how shit this all is and well, plays it. it up accordingly. <laughs> it, it, that's the thing, again, about making it more of a comedy. I feel like she went, oh, it's like a, an arch spoof. So I'm going to yeah. do it like that. So she comes yeah. in and says like, oh, gee, chief, what's going on? And you go like, but no one else in the film is doing that. Presumably because no one told yeah. her not to. <laughs> not all, of, all of her movements are so like over-exaggerated. And yeah. like, it, it's really like, it's rather funny, but it's still really out of place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very. And and not matched by anybody else. Like, yeah, it, there definitely was no director here. Like no one was directing no. this film. Absolutely. But, absolutely and uh, also during this time, Uh, is uh, one of the only good bits of a movie. Mm -hmm. The spirit stopping a mugging by just holding its arm up, knocking yep. the robber out and catching the bag. That's right, <laughs> yep. And that just sort of, he walks, it's like an ordinary day for the spirit. And again, this is the stuff that I go, there should be more of this. Like, it's yeah. kind of dumb and silly and he's like the most perfect guy. He's so handsome and noble and well-meaning. And like, that should be his whole life is just, you know, 
Biff, there you go. And then, will you marry me? Uh, thank you very much. They're just doing my job. And then, oh, here's a press interview. You know, the only problem is that then yeah. he tries to like bone the reporter instantly. It, you know, it like... feels it, it, it feels very sixties uh, Batman. It feels yeah, very Adam and West. That's, it, I would like that. I would like that film. Yeah, that was actually really well done. And and when he lusts over a reporter, like, thank you for being such amazing, lovely creatures. No two of you alike. And that's a fucking lie, because every bloody woman in this town is a bombshell. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They're all very similar. And some of them even look the same. I mean, as I say, you know, you can't... There's at least three women in this film that look... They're made up so similarly, and their hair's done so similarly, and they already look quite yeah. similar. So you don't even know which one it is <laughs> sometimes. Oh, There's a woman who yeah, is, is deaf, I think, who, you know, again, as I say, could be Ava Mendez, can't tell, you know. But yeah, yeah, yeah t- absolutely. And, um, and they, yeah, he, and he finds uh, his his old flame, sans serif, and she pushes him out of the window. And yep. it turns out she has the blood of uh, Heracles that yep. Sam Jackson wants in order to become a god. But we found, find that out much, much later. And yep. now it's just this weird vase. And I, I really didn't give a shit. No, absolutely not. I mean, like, as if they could introduce... They, it's as though that Frank Miller went, how can I find something even more out of left field and more difficult to care about? than a magical vase that contains Hercules' blood. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Incredible. Uh, absolutely fascinating yeah. choices. Um, it was around this point that I was thinking, you know, like most films have a tone that's like a, a, a suite of music, like a symphony or something, where mm-hmm. you have you know themes and motifs that they, they are introduced in certain ways, then they mutate and change until they become something completely different. But then they also come back. There are echoes of those motifs later on. You know, so it's sort of like a, like a classical symphony. But this, this film is sort of like free jazz in terms of its tone. So it'll be like... Violence. Oh, sexy bomb. Oh, childhood innocence. Oh, dirty sex. Oh, homelessness. Child prostitutes. Blip. Like it just keeps coming. It's like being assaulted. It hits you from every angle. Like, even jazz is too good for this. This is a toddler hitting his head on a keyboard. Or maybe one of those, like, uh, glockenspiels. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, little toy glockenspiels that a kid might have. Yeah, perfect. Oh, God. And um, uh, when uh, the octopus is making the new clone, like, he just created a small hopping foot with uh, a head on it. Yeah. Uh, somewhere, Kevin Smith sat there and watched this movie and thought, oh, I want to have something like that in one of my movies. And Yoga Hoses was born. Oh, right. Oh, man. I didn't even see that. I've, I've, I've dropped off with Kevin Smith quite a while ago. I, you know, no, no offense to him. You know, I've enjoyed lots of his yeah, films. Yeah, but, but my God. something I, kind I, of similar. I really thought that one thing that this film should have given the world is, is at the Oscars that year, they should have just shown that entire scene. Like, you know, you've just had one of the other awards, like Best Supporting Act or whatever. And yeah. then the host just goes, and now let's watch this. And then they show that scene with the little guy's head on the foot. And the the ridiculously uh, titful Scarlett Johansson nurse outfit, and Sam Jackson just like staring at, like, and then the three identical guys leaning in the background. They should have just shown that entire whatever it is four minute scene, and then just ended it and gone, yep. So we we did that this year, and then just moved on to the next thing. I'd I, I wish they'd done that just to see. And, it's, and, it, and instead of uh, the, the clone, it, it was just an Oscar statue. And oh, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> That's, one that's of, one of the three weird. in the background leans in and it's just the Oscar statue. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, God. And, uh, yeah, and bloody uh, bloody blah, 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 more bullshit happens. And more nonsense, uh, he yeah. goes to the... He finds the lair 
and uh, he he just he, he kills or at least disposes of some clones the spirit does and yeah. then without even hesitating he lets johansen kiss him and she injects him with something like how fucking gullible and clumsy is this fucker it's because his his dong has has got in the way of his ambitions yet again <laughs> oh you know my he, God. he wants to solve the case he wants to go out with commissioner dolan's daughter the dong gets in the way every single thing he does it is it is as you say it's almost like a curse it's it's his life he's got a condition a compulsion he, yeah. This is the tragic story of a man that has to get his phone on and can't stop, it's, even at the most high stakes moments. And when uh, Pass Vega shows up as a murderous belly dancer called yep. Plaster of Paris. Plaster of Paris. Again, I looked this up. She is in the comics. And again, she's in one comic, but she's like a black widow. She's just a woman oh, yeah. who like marries guys and then kills them, takes their money. Like she seduces men and robs them and kills them. That's the whole thing. And that's where that yeah. song comes from. And it's, you know, and again, you look it up. Beautifully elegant looking uh, comics panels with those uh, singing that song as she's like creeping up on the spirit with a knife. And you go, great. And now she's a, a, a French woman played by a Spanish woman for, n- <laughs> for no reason that I can quite deduce, uh, who does belly dancing in a Nazi like cult lair. Yes. Like, I <laughs> this it, is and, the scene. Yeah. This is the scene uh, this movie's probably the most famous for. Right. Um, Samuel L. Jackson shows up dressed in full Nazi gear yeah. while the German national anthem plays. Yep. And what the hell even is this? I, I think I this no is Miller just point. desperately trying to be edgy. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I was going to say, I can't tell if Samuel L. Jackson, you know, a, a black American man dressed in, as a Nazi is this incredibly, you know, comic transgressive moment or if it's just the most offensive thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> It's impossible yeah, to tell. That's the thing about this film. You can't tell. <laughs> what, what is no, it? Like, I don't it, know. This, like, this Nazi stuff comes out of nowhere and there's no relation to anything. No. Absolutely nothing. Like, it, it's just, you know, Miller also kind of, like, fetishizes some of that. And then he just, you know, oh, let's put this in here. This is going to be memorable. Yeah. And it is. Oh, it is, but, yeah. Mostly because you go, why Why is this happening? Yeah. And I suppose Johansson there's some comes... connection with, like, the Ubermensch idea that he's trying to become Maybe. a superior Maybe. Okay. Maybe. You actually, yeah, you Maybe? actually made more sense of it now. I'm really yeah. trying to excuse it here. <laughs> I don't know why. That could be. Why am I defending it? That could it? be the case. And uh, Johansson comes in, also dresses a Nazi, yes. and she truly looks like she'd rather be anywhere else. This is the scene where I thought this is like an SNL rehearsal. Or like, do you know what it actually <laughs> is like? It's like when they're doing the trails for SNL and the, you know, the Rock or whoever is standing there you know, going, hey, check out SNL tonight. You'll see me uh, with all my friends. And like, while he's saying this, like the other cast member of SNL is just standing there dead eyed behind him, like waiting for their cue line. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's trying how not this... to laugh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God, it's The Rock. Yeah, exactly. That's how this yeah, that's, feels. Yeah, that's exactly how this feels. Yeah. And, uh, oh God. And, uh, yeah, and it turns out that he invented the serum and injected the spirit with it all when nonsense. he was dead. He, all made up he describes him. He describes him as dead as Star Trek, which has aged incredibly poorly, by the way. Well, this was in 2008. This wasn't in, like, 1979. Star Trek, by this time, had proven to be a show that would would survive and reinvent itself and keep being recommissioned more than any other TV show. And I think that you literally could choose any other show in the history of television that would be a better example of that. And just in the following year, we got the the J.J. Abrams film, the first one. (laughs) It's really interesting how poorly time for Star Trek TV show on at that time. Like, when was Enterprise on? Like, it's on 
It's constantly on. What on earth is the octopus talking about? That's again just Miller speaking through his characters. Maybe he just hasn't um, engaged with popular culture since 1969. Was was the original Star Trek series over by then? Maybe that's where he's coming from. Probably. Yeah, and uh, he and the octopus needs to dismember the spirit so he doesn't heal himself. Yeah, and uh, again, this is this is such a weird idea because the spirit, as I say, is not a superhero. I think he's meant to have he might have been resurrected, or in some continuities or some origin stories, he was literally brought back from the dead. But he is just a guy. Like the way the main way that he's dead is just that Denny Colt is supposed to be dead. So he can exist as a sort of non-person. That's why he's called the spirit. But he's mm-hmm. not like, he's not Wolverine. <laughs> Which is what this is. Yeah. Like, oh, we have he, to chop him all up him... and stick him in different parts of the planet so he can't reassemble himself. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he, he calls Plaster out of it because uh, they know each other. Of course they do. And uh, she cuts his ropes. Uh, he beats up the octopus who gets crushed by the Reichsadler. Yeah. <laughs> and and they escape but once they get out she stabs him because she's jealous since he mentioned sand yeah i get but it seems she said this is for sand but that that echoes what what the spirit said so she's doing that on behalf of sand serif and you it just raises more questions than it is a satisfying moment you go do you know her (laughs) why why exacting revenge yeah I just saw it as she, uh, her being jealous and kind of like, oh, you made Whoopi with another woman. Yeah, oh, uh, maybe. I'm yeah. gonna, yeah, I'm gonna stab you now. And then Lady Death or whoever uh, shows up again, and he sees all the women in his life, which yes. are basically all the women with a speaking role in this fucking movie. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. every single woman that he's tried to bone throughout the entire film. Yep. And you know what would have made this film totally worth it? Yeah. If one of those women was Dame Judi Dench, <laughs> and yep. And, sh- and she said to him, Mr. Spirit, I am the city, and I really do not appreciate you always <laughs> lusting over me. It's disgusting. And also, what's all this about me being a mangy old crack whore? I really don't <laughs> appreciate this. This is very. I and also, this. quite frankly, you've got a really weird attitude towards women in general. In fact, come here. I'm gonna. We're gonna have a chat about this. We're gonna have a chat over a nice box of chocolate. Oh, lovely. I mean, that becomes a quite a nice film then. Like, uh, you know, just Judy Dench and the Spirit having a nice talk. Oh yeah. In the garden. I, I think that would be a more fitting tribute to the character. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but oh but uh, he resists death and uh, she's heartbroken and I don't care. And yes. um, he wakes up in the hospital and just pause and once more. And um, why, why is death personified in the film? Because Frank Miller has some fetishes. There was some, there was some other way he had to bring in a, a, a sexy paramour for the character. Okay. Any, anyway, yeah. maybe he could personify lunch as well as like a sexy woman covered in eggs. Eggs. Back to <laughs> eggs. Perfect. So there's a woman with like fried eggs over her nipples and a fried egg in her crotch and then like just some sausages suspended from bits of her body and uh, toast for hair. And, and he, when the spirit gets hungry in the middle of the film because it's lunchtime... He, he meets this, you know, toast woman at the egg egg lady and, and she says, have some lunch. And he goes, I can't, I'm busy. And then he moves on. Is that is that a good scene? No, no, please, please leave your uh, sausage party fan fiction out of this. <laughs> I wish. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And then uh, Vidu shows up and uh, ah, let's, let's, let's forget this. Um, and but uh, they, yeah, they have an exchange of the two boxes. 
And oh, yeah. uh, one of yeah. them, uh, one of them contains like this shiny thing we first don't see. Where I was thinking, yeah, I saw Pulp Fiction too. It literally is the same thing. Like it's not even like it's an homage. It's literally the same gag. Yeah. So why, and <laughs> how's, how do you excuse that anyway? And Sans new companion gets shot, and yep. uh, the octopus comes out of a truck dressed like a Russian pimp. <laughs> yeah, not not clear what's happening there. That's fine. <laughs> And the spirit arrives, and the octopus shoots at him without taking him down. And it's incredibly dull. It's but so then boring. he gets shot down. Yeah, when he gets shot down, funny. It kind of reminded me of when did um, uh, V for Vendetta come out? Because it kind of reminded me of that scene oh, where he yeah. gets shot, and then it turns out he had that breastplate under yeah. his shirt. But that goes back to what the uh, a fistful of dollars, or which it was fifty dollars more. Oh yeah, yeah. Like you know, and that's that's the oldest gag ever, and and also. So there's this thing where he so so they've they've established he he'll always heal not straight away but quicker than he should, and mm-hmm. like than anyone yeah he can recover from any injury basically that's the the thing with this version of the spirit, and um so so then there's the 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 octopus is firing like uh you know space force levels of artillery at him you know like we're we're talking the Star Wars missile defense system is being fired at him and he's not going down he's not responding. And all that time I was going, he, sh- he should be, like, wounded by this, surely. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, the, the octopus's aim is, must be fantastic because he's got a four, he's got two four-barreled shotguns and he manages to only shoot the spirit in the center of his chest every <laughs> single time. And we know that because when the spirit gets up, he goes, oh, I've uh, been wearing this and that's why. And you don't want to say, you, you should be splattered across this entire landing strip wherever we are. And, and like you you just go, oh, it's okay. I had this like thin layer of protective armor. So that's why I'm fine. Yeah. And you go, yeah, the, 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 <laughs> the safety vests, were, they were set up earlier in the movie, very clunkily, of course. Okay, yes, and, yes. And um, then, then the cops storm in, basically with an entire army, including helicopters. And uh, there's a big shootout where all the clones get killed in a really lame way uh, yeah. until the rookie cop blows one of the octopus's arms off with a ridiculously huge gun. Yeah. Which, Which again, it looks like, like he's he's been like uh, he's been turned into powder, basically. Like he looks like he's been oh atomized. yeah, and yeah. Then, and then it's then just it his pulls arm. back, and it's his arm. Yeah, his arms come off. It 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 just um, when she uh, pulls out that huge gun, uh, the the commissioner's like, is every woman in this town out of her goddamn mind? And she's like, no, sir, just well equipped. And I just pictured Frank Miller standing behind the camera, furiously masturbating. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah, that's his type for sure. I actually didn't mind that line. <laughs> But yeah, in this film, it has a certain connotation. Uh, this was also around the point where I went. It's when it's when Sam Jackson has two, you know, uh, cartoon. Like, I'm trying to think of a good reference, like Young Blood, Rob Liefeld level guns. Mm-hmm. He's firing into the sky, and 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 I don't know what's going on, or who anyone is, or what they want really, or why I should care. And 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 he's he's shooting down choppers with with these giant guns. That look like they're from an eighties, uh, you know, image comic, and I, and I was thinking to myself, is this like all just revenge for when Will Eisner said your comics are just about people blowing each other away and no one cares? And he's like, well, guess what, old man, I'm going to make a film out of your comic and I'm going to make it like that. Yeah, <laughs> it feels God. like a weird revenge. I'm going to take away the colourful costume from your that everyone liked from your main character. And most people have forgotten this character, so this is the only version they'll know, probably. And I'm going to just make it... I'm going to turn 
every possible like element of latent violence or sex up to up to 11 all the noiry stuff i'm going to make it so cliche that it's unbelievable and the finale will just be a load of really massive guns firing and everyone in the audience wondering what's happening and who these people are yeah <laughs> and uh then uh, he he reveals that he had a bulletproof vest and the spirit punches the octopus and he shoves a grenade into the octopus and yep. he says what Frank Miller probably said to cast and crew on the first day of filming. Let's die! Let's die! <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was the banner, I think, over the craft services table uh, on day one of the spirit. Yeah. Let's die! Sponsored by Odd Fellow Films or whatever it was called. Yeah, and uh, he blows up and... Uh, yep. He has all of his flesh it, stripped off him like a reverse Dr. Manhattan. Oh, yeah, and uh, the, uh, him and Amanda's kiss, and she has, like, a mithril cloak, apparently. Yeah, it's like, it's the... Is it the, the actual um, Jason's fleece of Jason the Argonaut? Oh, yeah, that, that's something I was uh, kind of thinking about later. Is yeah. that supposed to be the, the golden fleece? I think they Could mentioned very well the be. golden fleece earlier, and then that's why it was gold glowing when she opened up the thing. And Yeah. But, but still, you get, there's another weird magical realist device from mythology and, alongside Hercules' blood like that we come from nowhere. They also mentioned Force Hammer earlier. Yeah, as a joke though, right? Or no, maybe mm, not. I yeah, can't remember. Yeah, as a joke, but <laughs> it's, it, it's also kind of funny when when you see where the careers of Johansson and uh, Jackson yeah. went. Yeah. Oh, also, also, um, also, San Serif mentions Robin, but yes. the way she oh, mentions God. it, it's not. And bear in mind, the spirit was in the DC universe at this point, so it's not yeah. clear whether she's talking about the character Robin from the '60s Batman show or the comics, or whether she's talking about a real person called Robin who runs around in little shorts in the world of this film. It's not clear. Yeah, exactly. And, and she also mentions uh, the, the, the person's behind. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. Well, if she's talking about Burt Ward, I think that's fair enough. <laughs> oh, in the God. 60s Batman show, he was a heartthrob. He had his, his little buns in that little green sock. And I think a lot of women, fair. a lot of young women yeah, had absolutely. sort of awakenings because of Burt Ward. So I'm going to say, hands down, fair play. But I would like to know Absolutely. whether or not Robin does exist in this world or not. And I don't. Yeah. He never told me. I, I think it was just, you know, Frank Miller, like, referencing his own stuff. Yes. Yes. And, and not much thought behind it. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Oh, God. And then um, uh, he, he gets together with Paulson, I guess, because Eva Mendes leaves again. Poor Ellen Dolan. She's just, she has to watch the guy try and, like, dick an entire city for the, like, literally, for the whole film. <laughs> And at the end, she's still, you know, the the second choice off to off to the movies in the at the end of the movie. And, oh yeah, you know. And, and then it seconds later, Morgan Stern comes up and he goes, "Mmm, excellent, you're back." And <laughs> then the film ends essentially. Yeah, yeah. Johansson collects a finger from the octopus, leading up to now, a sequel which will never happen. <laughs> in that moment, when there, she's about to drive off with the, whatever bold clones survive, and she's you see in the sort of reverse mirror. There's this little thing, little worm crawling along. And uh, I was thinking, oh, Christ, please tell me that's his finger. Because <laughs> it's quite a it's quite a far away shot you get of it at first. And I went, uh, if that's, well, <laughs> if that's what I think it is, it's I'm like, very I, I upset. Want, I, I want that to be like the gif of a guy from How I Met Your Mother. That's a penis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> perfect and oh. uh, yeah and then the spirit gets horny about his city once more before yep. we are finally set free mm. 
The spirit oh who my. wants to have sex with a city that is simultaneously uh, uh, an underage girl and his wife and his mother at the same time. Where's the sequel? Come on, let's. That's yeah, absolutely. Where, I mean, on, we can. We kind of got like in, in the world of Kick-Ass, we even got two sequels at oh, least. Oh, it's true. Yeah, perfect, perfect. In in oh, the God. film Kick-Ass, when they come out of the Spirit Three, is it like, yeah. well, that sucked, or is it like, yeah, yeah, we just it's a very normal thing to do to go and see the Spirit Three. It it kind it kind of feels like the latter. They they don't really have a big reaction like There's the. No, okay. um, it's just like the, oh, the, the, we're imagining a world a few years down the line where they've spun it out into more movies. Yeah, yeah, like Aaron Taylor Johnson kind of like uh, makes like this whew face in a way, but that could be interpreted either way. Yeah. Like, uh, whether it su- sucked or it was really good, or it really exciting. isn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 isn't, it isn't clear. It doesn't sadly. hold up in the long run. I have to say, it doesn't hold up quite as well as the Jaws 9 joke in, uh, in, in Back to the Future Part 2. That's, that's slightly better foreseen, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. But that joke has kind of aged badly in a way because now we have so many shark movies. Well, that's true, but none of them are Jaws films, which is surprising, really, when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, some of them wanted to be Jaws, kind yeah. of. But why? But you know, why aren't any of these big animal movies called like Jaws Six or Five, whichever one we're on now? You could you could get the license and you could start instead of the Meg, you could have Jaws Five. Jaws is really big now. And Jason Statham. Draw, wait, draw, draws nine. They fly now. They fly now. Yeah, exactly. Jaws <laughs> nine, and then the the poster is just Jaws, but with a, a really tiny pair of like kestrel wings that somehow allow him to fly. And oh, the tagline, yes. actually, that sounds they fly kind now. of awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, I would I would watch it. Listen, I'd watch it. I'd watch any of these films. I'd watch The Spirit oh, yeah. too. Uh, <laughs> okay. Fascinating. So. Final thoughts of yours about this thing. Final, final thoughts. I think, I think the main, the main thing about this is. So I, I, the the main conclusion I could draw was I think Miller saw himself as like I think he was high off his own supply. I think he mm-hmm. was going. I'm a genre. People like what I do because he'd been doing Sin City comics since you know the 90s at least, maybe even earlier. But like he he developed that aesthetic. His high contrast black and white comics. That was turned very successfully into one film. And it's like he went, this is me now. This is my future. And, you know, I think he really did have an abiding love for, for the spirit and for Eisner. And, you know, I think that you know extensive relationship between them and, and the, the whole book of them just talking comics. It was all part of that. Uh, hmm. And I, I think he went, well, I'd love to do... If they said to him, we, we don't want any more Sin City, but we'd love a, a, a you film. What do you want to do? And he went, the spirit... I can sort of see, I can see that this is the film he would make. And I was, the thing that I liked about it more than I expected was that it was more 60s Batman and more campy and spoofy than I thought it would be. But I don't know why in that same movie people are being dismembered and there's Nazi regalia without there being any Nazis in the film. Just someone decides to dress up as a Nazi for no reason. And, and people, you know, blood, sex tits just all this explicit sort of frank miller hard-boiled content alongside what clearly wants to be a daft silly romp of an adventure and if it had been that i can see like i was thinking if barry sonnenfeld made this film like Mm -hmm. if 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 they're about to start shooting and you know a a sort of men in black era barry sonnenfeld stepped in and said no 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 stop stop there and then took the script and cut it to pieces kept the funny bits and like just made his own film if ed solomon wrote this script doctored this you know i think we'd have had a great fun daft romp which i think would have also felt really 
like behind the times and very old fashioned, but in a fun way. Whereas this just feels like a weird hodgepodge of, as you correctly identified, very specific Frank Miller fetishes, ways that he can't seem to stop working in, like strange hyperviolence and and the high contrast uh, color and black and white, the washed out colors, and all these things that just simply don't fit it. And I think if there's a reason to really not like this film, I think the main one is that it is it's like it's taken a great big shit on the character and its legacy. I think I yeah, think there have been so many, not as many as a Batman or a Superman or, or a Wonder Woman or whoever, but there have been so many interpretations of the spirit, different tones, different creators having their own stamp on it. And I think from what I've seen, this is by a country mile the worst one and the least in the spirit of the original spirit, the least in the spirit, <laughs> again, back to spirit, the least in the spirit of the original creation. Oh, I was just uh, picturing uh, uh, Graham Chapman coming in like, stop that, stop that. Stop that, that's, that's very silly, stop that, yeah. <laughs> Stop that! No, no, let's do something else. Barry Sonnenfeld, come on, rescue this. Oh, film. let's not let's not watch *The Spirit*. It's let's a silly not, movie. <laughs> it's a silly film. Yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, if 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 when the spirit dropped off, you know, had the sword through him and he fell off that dock, if if an alien ship swept in, and he just fell into it, and then he that's what saved him. He flew away with two sort of uh, Terry Gilliam designed puppet aliens, <laughs> flew him around the globe, and then dropped him off on the dock. And somebody, you know, some tramp sitting there went, oh, you lucky bastard. Like, I think that would be, that wouldn't be that surprising in this film. Oh, yeah. It wouldn't have surprised me at all. And Arnold exactly. comes in and says, freezing cold. And you go, yeah, we know. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Don't go in that really... water. It's cold. Yeah. Okay, you... great. You really nailed it there. Like I, I was, I was thinking about like uh, take this whole tone of the movie, like maybe even the cast, mm. but put it into the look and world of the '90s Dick Tracy movie. Dick Tracy again, yeah, it feels a bit like it wants to kind of be that. I think this is a film straining to be a fun, silly film, but Frank Miller just goes, "Well, I'm not going to not do my Frank Miller stuff," and you go, "No, don't do it. It's not right for this. It should be, you know, all that my city stuff. It should be." More like a Dick Tracy, more like a 60s Batman, kind of like, ha, huh, so the octopus thinks he's going to get the better of me, does he? Well, I'll show him me, Denny Colt, the spirit. Like, it should be like that. It shouldn't be all this yeah. weird psychosexual stream of consciousness poetry. Yeah, you know what could have saved this movie? An actual director. <laughs> yeah, if a director came in, that would have definitely helped. Oh, absolutely. All in all, like you were uh, still kind of saying, yeah, this this movie, this movie's bad, but you gave it at least like the benefit of a doubt here and there. Like, mm. I'm not gonna lie. Okay. This is actually like one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> what are the other? <laughs> just I, for context, what are the other worst movies you've ever seen? Okay. Um. There is uh, the absolute worst movie I've ever seen. It's like this obscure animated movie which is like a, a amalgamation of uh, several fairy tales mm -hmm. it's like a cindy i think it's called cindy and the magic riddle okay. and it's this, like this. Okay. horribly cheap 2d animated movie yeah. which is which is offensive offensively bad okay. like it's really like one of the worst things one of the other worst movies would be the um uh the movie version from like the early 2000s which uh which one was it the um, uh, Lost in Space, yeah. Oh man, do you know what? I was young enough that I saw that in the cinema and thought it was like the best thing I'd ever seen. I was so <laughs> I young. can understand. I haven't that. seen it. Since. I think I watched about five minutes of it on telly years later and went. I mean, mm. yeah, it's not. It's not good. But uh... yeah, absolutely. Not. <laughs> yeah, but it was is... yeah, fun. Fun when I was about uh, eight years old. Oh yeah, sure. And and I don't throw those words around willy nilly. Yeah, like, the I worst mean film. It. Yeah. 
Yeah, like I mean, it's not not the worst. Like, like there are certainly like one or two jokes land. Like some of the performances are kind of fun to watch, and, and the music is good. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, but but you know, this is like this is so horrendously horrible, mm. like so terribly awful. It's almost a miracle. Like it's so dreadfully boring for one. It's very boring for the most part. It disobeys so in- every rule that there's ever been about like structure, introducing yeah. characters, stakes. It, it doesn't pay yeah. any heed to those. But it doesn't do that because it's subverting them. It does that because I think he doesn't know that they, those rules exist. No, it's so ineptly put together. Like, it's yeah. downright incomprehensible at points. Yeah. And you read, you read like the hard goodbye. Like you read the very first Sin City and you go, how is this the same guy that wrote this? Like, you know, it's, it's, it's big. It's dumb. It's daft. It's over the top. But that's the whole point. But you you really care about Marth, <laughs> like you're really interested in the story. Yeah, and and the whole world makes mediums. sense. It's an aesthetic that hangs together. I think it's also kind of a kick in the face that you've got this character who was, you know, like Batman is again. He's been reinterpreted so many times. I mean, what would people think of as the definitive image of Batman now? Like Jim Lee, probably. And you know, that's fifty four, sixty years, fifty years after Batman was created. And so you go like, okay, so that's kind of you know, in terms of comics. You go, who's the artist you associate with it? And there's a few throughout the ages, like Neil Adams and, and people. And you go, sure, like, but you don't think Bob Kane. You, you associate him as the creator, but you don't think of his interpretation of Batman very much. But the spirit, yeah. like, there's only really one guy. There's one guy's drawing of the spirit that you think of, and it's Will Eisner. And so the fact that the end credits are all in, like, Sin City, high contrast, black, white, and red... And you've only got Frank Miller's storyboards, and there's not a single whiff of the character or the or even the the legacy of Will Eisner's character. It does just feel like, ah, yeah, you're dead. Fuck you. I don't know. Like it's so it seems very disrespectful to me. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a German movie called uh, Lollipop Monster uh, by uh, a female comic book artist Siska Riemann. You know, oh. another another movie made by a comic book artist. Yeah. But actually, that that one actually, you know, that is comprehensible and it has structure and is okay. interesting and the performances are good. Like you know, it it can work. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Somebody from a certain you know medium goes uh, onto another one, like when kind of like how. Yeah. Yeah, how sometimes a uh, uh, animation director goes over and uh, does a live action thing, like Brad yeah. Bird is a perfect example where it can work. Did you know, by the way, that speaking of Brad Bird, it seems like the right point to bring this up. There was one of the greatest tragedies, I think, in animation is if you look up uh, Brad Bird's The Spirit, you can find an animation test from the 80s, which was uh, animated by Brad Bird, directed by Brad Bird as a pitch, part of a pitch material for a, I think it was going to be a Spielberg produced, uh, you know, Warner Brothers, Brad Bird directed spirit animated movie. And you look at that animation sample and you go, yeah, this this is it. This is what it should have been. And it never happened. Oh, no, I'm depressed now. Yeah. yeah. Well, we got the <laughs> Iron really Giant, sad. so that's OK. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then he gave us The Incredibles, which was one oh. of the best superhero movies Agreed. Uh, of all time. Agreed. Strongly. So yeah, and he yeah he generally made like uh, some of the best Pixar movies. Ratatouille is probably I love Ratatouille, my all-time yeah, favorite. Well, yeah, I think that's more of a splitter, but yeah, no, Incredibles, Ratatouille, I love them. I loved Incredibles too as well. Yeah, I like I liked that one a lot as well. Yeah, like mm. some people have had problems with it, but I I thought it was a, a worthy sequel. The yeah. only thing I didn't like was that it was like a I I would have wished for a sequel which took place a couple of years after the first one. Yeah, it's it, it's very it feels very much like it's carrying straight on. It feels it feels a lot like more of the same. But I was there for that, mm. and some of yeah. the like 
as as a, as a bunch of action set pieces and as a story, I think it justified itself. But yeah, it's like it would have been quite fun to take that aesthetic and move it on. Yeah, five years, maybe have the kids grown up a bit. That would be fun. Exactly. Yeah, that was my main point. Yeah, kind of like yeah. Having them a little bit more developed in an interesting way, but uh, they wanted, of course, like I think one of the reasons was they wanted more baby shenanigans and uh, yeah. They couldn't have uh, the baby being older, so I kind of get that. <laughs> I think I think Mr. Incredible still has a few swimmers ready to go. They could have had a fourth kid. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, probably, but, you know. Unless, like, of... whatever it was that made him Mr. Incredible uh, messed with his junk. But I suppose they've had all their kids <laughs> since he was super, haven't they? So there's that's not... Unless there's a time-lapse thing where whatever radio radiation poisoning he got is slowly ruining his fertility. But I don't think that's true, because if they had Jack-Jack that recently... Then... Shoot for rockets! Shoot <laughs> for rockets! <laughs> I wish I could, he says. Uh, and then you know, literally, there's a rocket. Oh, I see, I see what you mean. Just, yeah, that's the thing. That's the deleted scene, <sighs> giving the sad backstory to, to why they only had three kids and no more. Oh, God. Yeah, I, I really liked how like dad-centric it was in a way, and also how they um, beefed up, like how it was kind of like reversed, you know? Yeah. Um, and and I I thought they did that really well, and also how he you know he um, attunes to it, and uh, you know he gets gets the shit done in the household and all of yeah, that. I yeah. thought it was all done like uh, really well, and uh, uh, but you know um, uh, that's a different movie. Um, it's a different movie. It's, so, a, it's a better movie in many ways. Yes, uh, we should have watched that. Oh well, sorry. Uh, yeah, but but it would twice. be. It would have been less interesting uh, to to talk about a good movie. Well, that's true. Brad Bird is someone who I think if you if you had step in at the Graham Chapman moment, like stop that, stop that, like then I think Brad Bird's another person who if you just handed it to him, you'd have had like a ten times better film. You wouldn't even have to change that much. Like I think Mm. a lot of the cast could work. Some of the story elements are fine. You know, I think. I mean, there's there's even a connection with Sam Jackson. Oh yeah, hang on. So, oh yeah, of course, Frozone. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I think the trouble with with Sam Jack, he's like the ultimate trump card when it comes to like Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever, because he's been yeah. in everything. So yeah, <laughs> like, that's you know. true. But also, like uh, Sam Jackson strikes me as a guy where even if he's in something that's shit, yeah, it, it it never it never seems like he's phoning it in. No, he's so charismatic, and that's something that I thought early on in this film was like I was so confused and sort of a, like annoyed by elements of this film very early on. And and still, when he was on screen, I was going, ah, oh, Sam Jackson, great. And I go, no, 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 it's not, it's not good, it's not a good film. Uh, then I sort of get lulled back and like, oh yeah, I like Sam Jackson. Go, no, no, this doesn't make any sense. But yeah, he's great. He, he's always good. He's always good value in whatever he's in. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I, I feel sorry for everybody in this. Um, I mean, they, they got yeah. paid, but um, I think they probably like, had fun. I think there was probably a lot of putting on silly costumes. And probably a lot of like delivering silly arch dialogue about eggs and wanting to have sex with the building and or whatever it is. And I think they probably had a good time doing it. I feel bad for the stuntmen because there's so many weird wire work shots that are probably a real pain in the ass. With a spirit like desperately wanting to fuck the city, uh, I was thinking about had had just Frank Miller saw uh, seen uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall recently and completely misunderstood it. Yeah, right, right. That's it. Another brick in the wall. Another dick in the wall, more like. Am I right? <laughs> uh, and it, the spirit like you go to the spirit's layer the reason you don't see inside the spirit's layer after the first shot is because if you go in there there's like just all these charts and you know this, this pin board covered in diagrams of like he's planning to try and like give himself a, a, a skyscraper sized penis that he can use to <laughs> physically have sex with the city 
and and like there's all these weird chemical formulae and like the numbers of various like building suppliers and he's going oh i'm not sure this is going to work you know he's, he's he that's his main case that he's trying to crack and we never hear much about it except in those monologues no it just sounds like your average anime yeah exactly i mean that's where <laughs> this spirit belongs i think an object sexual anime uh, a very niche pornographic anime uh, yeah give it to some of the people who were behind the animatrix and yeah, oh, let's perfect. see what they yeah. make out of it <laughs> just thinking about the spirit like what would you call it the the uh the the, sp- the spirit of the spirit or whatever you know like what is it called star wars um dream factory what do they call it the anime oh, wait. star wars I've got it. The spirit redrawn. Redrawn. Oh, mwah. beautiful. So you've got <laughs> oh, chef's kissing that. Mwah, mwah. And you've got, uh, yeah, Thank so you. one of those is uh, is is whoever it was that did Rotsuki Doji, just with the spirit having sex with Century City for a full 15 minutes. That's, that's I think, that's the final form of this film. But um, beautifully scored by John Williams. By John Williams. By David Newman. Uh, <laughs> oh, or any human. human that's free to be honest it was fine oh yeah absolutely uh randy newman oh my god randy can you imagine I'm like having sex with the city. yeah I, yeah that'd be good like it, it puts a whole new meaning on i love la like, he really loves la oh my god it's a town fuck a town <laughs> <laughs> fuck it up and fuck it down fucking the town yeah great and then it's a pixar film directed by brad bird with the original randy newman song in it Oh, yeah. All of these would be great films. <laughs> he wants to fuck with John. He wants to fuck with John. It's too fun, isn't it? It's like it's like Fred Schneider from the B-52s. Like, the spirit has taken his building-sized dick out, and now he's having sex with the city. Like, there's just some voices that are just too much fun to do that you've got to do them. Randy oh, Newman my God. is definitely one of them. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, yeah, now I want to... Let's see if this gets uh, revisited. Uh, in, like when when the studios are truly desperate, they will dig this out again. Oh yeah, please, absolutely. I hope so. Like, what, what can we do? This the Frank Miller Spirit Extended Universe. I mean, not even like no connections to Frank Miller. Just they're gonna dig this comic up and then make something. Well, I would uh, be something. It's like maybe like in the style of the, the, the Spider Verse movies, you know. I mean, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I, yeah, I love love the Spider Verse movie and uh, the. the um... I think there's a bunch of different ways you could do a great spirit film. I think there's something mm. inherently sort of old-fashioned feeling about the character. He's got a he's got the hat, he's got the domino mask. But I think if you embrace that, you know, I think you could definitely do a, a really fun. I mean, as you you nailed it completely by mentioning Dick Tracy. I think you want something like that, and you want someone like John Hamm to stick the domino oh, mask yeah. on and like be funny and roguish and charming in that kind of classic Harrison Ford way. And you know, exactly. have him have him tumbling down the stairs and ending up with the secretary like with her skirt over his face. And Ellen Dolan <laughs> goes, "Oh, but we were supposed to go to the pictures." And he goes, "Oh, I'm sorry." Oh. Like you want you want that you want that fun sort of harmless daft knockabout adventure. And you know, that, yeah, it would be perfect. Be. Like um, even like, and then you could market it uh, more to like you know the, the mixed crowd or even like the the adults. Like when you yeah. give it to like the team behind. Um, arcane league of legends and do it as an, a netflix uh, series thing. oh yeah thing. yeah that could work yeah yeah yeah, definitely that kind of thing there's all kinds of forms it could take yeah absolutely or like even like um, i don't know new comics or whatever like um, yeah well i wonder certainly... if they are I'm, I'm sort of out of touch with comics but i'd be fascinated to know if they are still making them they had um bang studios i think it was bang studios well one of the sort of smaller <laughs> well yeah yeah it's funny bang studios is the name of the <laughs> the frank miller uh, spirits studio um but you yeah, know what was it called 
There's IDW. Was it IDW? Boom. Boom Studios is what I'm thinking of. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Bang Studios is a casting studio in central London. So that's not related. Oh, uh, that's, Boom that's an unfortunate... That's an unfortunate name for a casting studio. Well, it depends, depends what you're going for. Uh, and uh, I can't speak for the team behind Bang Studios. Um, anyway, anyone wants to go and audition for like a Weetabix advert, get down Bang Studios and uh, register as a, as a new auditionee. Anyway, but Boom Studios or, or IDW or one of those smaller American publishers uh, has been doing great work putting out um, Rocketeer comics and stuff. Darwin Cook actually contributed some work to some of those Rocketeer comics. And um, other sort of classic pulpy characters like that have had reboots over the years. And generally, in comics, when people take an interest in those old characters, it's, it's generally worth a look at because, you know, like, as I say, the, the Darwin Cook spirit comics were just a masterclass, just perfectly, perfectly done. Mm. Really, really, really well recommended by me and definitely recommended. That. It's my favourite version of the spirit from the year 2008. <laughs> and that's saying something. That's kind of like you being in prison. Oh, my favorite food is this dry bread. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My, <laughs> yeah. my favorite food is uh, this dry bread as opposed to no food. Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Well, should we take oh, this God. home, Lasse? Yes. Um, well, Tom, uh, I found you thanks to the wonderful Smirch Pod by John Pod. Rain. But That's right. what else do you have online people can check out? Well, I, I've done a bunch, sort of by accident, I've fallen into it, but I've been involved in a bunch of different podcasts. If you're someone who likes scripted like sitcoms and dramas, I recommend the, the show's uh, Wooden Overcoats, which is a very British sitcom about two rival funeral directors. Uh, also, I'm the lead in a show called Victoriosity, which is a sort of, it's not quite steampunk, but it's an alternate history, high-tech Victorian detective drama. Uh, and I'm the detective in that, written by a genius pair of writers called Chris and Jen Sugden. Uh, lovely people, a very, very lovely married couple who also write brilliant sci-fi detectives. Uh, and um, the main thing I would implore everybody listening to this to try out is my sketch and character comedy podcast, Crowley Time with me, Tom Crowley. It takes a lot of work to make. Uh, it's the main sort of focus of it's my main outlet for comedy, essentially. Uh, and it's given rise to a bunch of different sort of standalone sketches and much loved characters who come back and time and time again. And there's a bunch. There's 26 episodes of it out now. Hours and hours of free comedy for anyone who enjoys, you know, the sort of weird alternative British comedy, you know, things like Monty python all of matt berry's output that kind of stuff i think you'd really connect with it so yeah please <laughs> please listen to crowley time with me tom crowley oh that's awesome thank you uh, you can find this very podcast fans about films on soundcloud itunes and spotify i co-host it's a 90s christmas podcast with lyle perez i also host track swap on sidetrollsoundtheater.com my youtube channel is called the depart and i am part of a german podcast collective telestammtisch dear mr tom crowley sir It was an absolute joy to have you on board. Thank you. It's been such a joy to be here and an honor to be featured by your good self. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I hope you will be back in the future sometime soon. Please, please. Great. And now excuse us, listeners. We have to throw some eggs at Frank Miller's house. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.